Can we give our worship team a round of applause? Seriously, that was amazing. These guys work their butts off every week. We've had so many issues with sound and everything over the last few months, and it seems like we're finally getting into a rhythm. And I'm telling you tonight, the presence of God was here in a really powerful way, wasn't he? So let's give God a clap as well. Seriously, God showing up here to be with us. All right, go ahead and take a seat. So good to see you guys tonight. I just got to say I am pumped for the winter retreat this weekend. Honestly, it's going to be amazing. God is going to move. God is going to blow your socks off. If you've never been at retreat, get ready. It's going to be amazing. And also, so next week we're starting our dating series. So we're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about love and marriage specifically for three weeks. You throw up the slide up here. It's called A Beautiful Design. And we're just going to spend three weeks just marveling at God's design for relationships because it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. You look in the scriptures, you look in Genesis 1 and 2 as God sets up the first marriage. It's beautiful. So I'm excited to just marvel at God's design for love and and dating and marriage. Uh, So that starts next week and we'll do that for three weeks. So if you're new tonight, I also want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here that you would choose to hang out with us on a Tuesday night. That is just such a blessing to me that you would want to be a part of what God is doing here. All right, so for the last three weeks, we've been in a series called Upward Falling. And this series is based off of the Beatitudes. I've explained this like three times now, so just hear me out one more time. Upward Falling, based off the Beatitudes, comes from the song Touch the Sky by Hillsong United. If you heard that song before, it says, I touched the sky when my knees hit the ground. And it says something about upward falling, spirit soaring. And, and the whole point of the song and the point of the Beatitudes is as we deny ourselves and as we put God and other people before ourselves, which is hard to do in our culture, the word says as we do that, we'll actually get closer to Jesus. So as we fall, like on our knees, we actually move upward towards heaven. So that's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. And this will be our last week tonight. So the first week we talked about how God calls us to be humble before him and also before people. And I thought that was a powerful night as we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then the second week, we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And I pled with you to hunger for God. Don't hunger for other things over God. Hunger for God first and foremost, because he's the only one who can satisfy your heart. And then last week, we talked about the call to forgive, to forgive those who have hurt us and also to make peace with those we have division with. So now we have one more night to talk about the Beatitudes, and we've read the Beatitudes so many times. You've, or I think you've read it every week in small group. We've read it or every week here, so there's two more times. There's tonight and then tomorrow or Thursday in your small group. So let's read it two more times. All right, so we'll read it the second to last time right now. It's Matthew 5, 1 through 12. It says, seeing the crowds, Jesus, would, or, or Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And the last verse is, Rejoice and be glad, 
for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is powerful. We can't, I don't think we can read this enough times. Because as much as I read it over and over again, I still I don't think I'm really being a, being a beatitude person. You know, it's hard to follow these things. So I encourage you to, to keep reading these. But let's pray before we jump into the message. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that your presence is here so strongly. God, we thank you that you are encountering us tonight. That you're making yourself known to us. And God, I pray as we proclaim the word of God, pray that your spirit would be so present that you would be able to break past any barriers uh, or that we've set up in our hearts. God, I pray that you'd, or if our hearts are hard tonight, I pray that you'd soften them. If they're cold, I pray that you'd warm them. And God, I pray that tonight we would meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So how many of you had boyfriends or girlfriends in elementary school? Anybody? Okay, we have my brother. Is there anybody else? Okay, we got Marissa over there. All right, our Ryan Griner. He's RG for now on, so call him that. Thank you. All right, so I had a lot of girlfriends in elementary school, so much so that once I got to middle school and high school, I, I dated everybody when I was in second grade, so I didn't, didn't really have any more girlfriends after that. But so anyways, I dated a lot of girls in, or in elementary school, and then in fifth grade, there's this thing called the fifth grade picnic, and what that is is, so there's four elementary schools in my district, and we'd all come together, all the fifth grade classes would come together, and we would have like a picnic because we're all going to be together the next year in sixth grade. So it was a chance to get to know some of the other kids. And I saw this really pretty girl. So I was jacked. I was like, wow, I haven't dated her. Praise Jesus. I'm going to go for her. And uh, so I asked my mom what any good kid would do. I said, mom, can you go find out her name for me? And she did. Like, what a weirdo. Um, I love you, mom. She listens to all of these. So sorry about that. Um, so anyway, she went and figured out her name, and then turns out I was in her homeroom class. We have like 300 students in our class, and I happened to be in her homeroom class. And uh, so I was like, yes, come on, it's from the Lord. Uh, that's not what I said. But uh, so I got, or so what any kid would do, and, or what would this have been like, I don't know, 2004 or five or whatever, I don't know. But so what any kid would do then is jump on AOL Instant Messenger and send her a quick, a quick message and say, hey, what's up, girl? So that's what I did. And... Uh, and I asked her out. I didn't talk to her in person. I just asked her out on AOL Instant Messenger because that's what cool kids do. And we started dating, and it was just a great relationship. We lasted for three weeks. We never spoke to each other. We completely spoke through AIM or, or whatever you call that. And we spoke through our friends. And then after three weeks, uh, we both got on AIM one night and just decided to call it off because, you know, it just wasn't working. And uh, so I tell you that story. Two reasons. One, I love to make fun of my younger self. And two, I think there's an or an important principle we can get from it. People can seem amazing from the outside. So this girl, I was like, she is beautiful. Come on, Jesus, please let me get this girlfriend. But then when you dig past the outer surface, sometimes they're not what you seem they are, or they're not what you think they are. So this girl, she's fine. She's great. I still like, know her to this day. We hung out in high school and all that. So I'm not dissing her, but I'm just saying, like, I thought, wow, because she's pretty, like, or she would definitely be the best girlfriend for me because she's pretty, obviously. And, uh, but I realized that it, and that it matters more what goes on in the heart. And if we're not connecting, like emotionally and personality-wise, then, then there's no point in it. So I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because the dating series is, or is next week. But uh, I'm trying to draw a principle from this. So anyways, uh, or something I've learned about Jesus and Christianity is, uh, you know, or sometimes from the outside we can seem like we have it all together, okay? It's like this girl, I thought she was beautiful. Like we can seem like we have everything together. We can seem like we're religious. You know, we go to Chi Alpha on Tuesdays, we go to morning prayer on Thursdays, which is only five of us, so praise him. Uh, let's make that more. Uh, you go to morning prayer on Thursdays, you go to church on Sunday, you go to small group, 
You go to retreat every time. But inside, there's something else going on. It's not as it appears on the outside. And something I've learned about Jesus is Jesus is way more concerned about what's going on in your heart than he is about your actions. Now, don't get me wrong. If you have a pure heart, then then that will naturally overflow into holiness. You'll live a holy life. Like, those external actions will happen. But sometimes we try to change our actions and hope that that will change our heart. But what Jesus is going to show us tonight is we have to have a heart change before we can change our actions. If you're struggling in sin, if you're stuck in habitual sin, I would challenge you that, that it's not a behavior problem as much as it's a, or it's a heart problem. And tonight, I want to try to reintroduce you to Jesus and show you that he is the way, his love, his transformative love is the way that you can get a pure heart. Understanding that, even if you're a Christian, some of us are Christians, but for a long time, we just have not tasted the love of God like we did at first. And tonight, my prayer is that each of us would taste the love of Jesus, and it would transform our hearts and then transform our actions as well. So I just gave you the whole sermon right there. Uh, So the title of tonight's message is this, The Pure in Heart. And we'll focus on the eighth verse of the Beatitudes. So let's read it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the main idea is this. You may have guessed it. Blessed are the pure in heart. I'm so original. Every week, I always just go, blessed, whatever it is. This week, it's blessed are the pure in heart. Get that tonight. The first point is this. The pure in heart are inwardly beautiful. The word pure in the Greek is katharos, and it means clean, blameless, unstained from guilt, free from corrupt desire. And the word heart in the Greek is kardea, and it can refer to the physical heart, like the organ, but it can also refer, or refer to the center of all spiritual life. It's where the thoughts, desires, your sense of pur- purpose, your will, your understanding, and your character reside. It resides in your heart. John Piper, Pastor John Piper says this. He says, the heart is what you are, in the secrecy of your thought and feeling, when nobody knows but God. That's what your heart is. So I came up with a definition tonight for pure in heart. It's this. It's on the screen. Blameless in who you actually are. So not in your actions, but who you are in the center of your being. You're inwardly clean. You're beautiful, and you're unstained from guilt. So being pure in heart means that you have a singleness of heart towards God. You are focused on God. You are completely devoted to him. There's no hidden motives. You aren't trying to to appear religious so that God will love you or, or so that people will think you're amazing, but you are purely and wholly devoted to God. You're pure in heart. In Matthew 23, Jesus rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day, for being worried about their external purity while not being worried about their heart. They didn't have pure hearts, but they were trying to do these religious actions. So let's read it. It's verse 25 and 26 of chapter 23 of Matthew. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And he says, You blind Pharisee. So if you think that Jesus won't call you out, you're wrong. Jesus will call you out. And he's doing it to the Pharisees here. Verse 26, you blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, 
which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is telling it like it is right here. Jesus says that being pure starts in the heart. He says that, or that, your, or that your religious activities cannot make up for a dark or impure heart. If we do these deeds and these activities, but have an impure heart that's full of greed or self-centeredness, then we are like whitewashed tombs. Jesus said it himself. Are you outwardly beautiful but inwardly ugly? Are you a whitewashed tomb? Psalm 24 touches on what it means to be pure in heart as well. Let's read this, verses 3 through 6. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Could that be our generation? The generation who seeks the face of the God of Jacob. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. David asks, he says, who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or in other words, who will see God? Then he says, it's he who has clean hands and a pure heart that will see God. Sounds a little bit like Matthew 5, 8. If we are pure in heart, we will see God. Then we can see what David means by pure heart in verse 4. We throw verse 4 back up there. He says, one who has a pure heart has nothing to do with falsehood. The one who is pure in heart does not swear deceitfully. They are truthful. They're full of integrity and they're free of deceitfulness. A deceitful person does one thing, but then tells people that they did another. The Pharisees and the scribes were not pure in heart because they tried to look like they were holy to others while they inwardly were not. They tried to perform religious actions and, and rituals to cover up their dark hearts. On the other hand, though, the pure in heart, according to verse 6, we throw that verse up, is the one who seeks the face of God. If you are pure in heart, then you will seek the face of God with everything you have. There's nothing that will get in the way of your pursuit of God. So let me ask you tonight, what is getting in the way of your pursuit of God? Because it says that the pure in heart will seek the face of the God of Jacob and nothing will get in the way of that person. We have to get desperate about our pursuit of God. It has to be desperate. It has to say, at any cost, I'll pursue God because he's the only one that's worth living for. We need to get that. Guys, we're told lies every day that or that education, or money, or even a family, good things, they're fine things, but we're told every day, if we get these things, then we'll be satisfied. But the God of the Bible says the only way you'll truly be satisfied is if you seek my face, and you don't relent until you see me. We gotta be a generation who seeks the face of the God of Jacob. Come on, guys. We cannot let our generation pass and be another generation who doesn't seek the face of God. Time is too short. Jesus will return. He will return. We need to seek his face. That's what the pure in heart look like. They seek the face of God. So have you ever met someone who has a pure heart? I'm sure all of us have met someone who they're just amazing. Like, wow, they have an amazingly pure heart. There's one person who I met, and, and my wife Emily and Matt and Rachel, five and a half years ago. We came into Chi Alpha all at the same time. It was the second year of Chi Alpha. There was like 15 of us, and there was this girl named Elizabeth Campbell. And some of you may still know her. Uh, she graduated last year. 
But this girl, I tell you, like one thing you could know for sure about her is that she had people's best interests in mind and she really sought God. That's something you could know without a shadow of a doubt. She did not have ill intention. I'm sure she wasn't perfect, but it just seemed to me that she was pretty close as far as being pure in heart. And she led Rachel to the Lord because she, like Rachel is amazing, but she could be a little bit stubborn before she met the Lord. And Elizabeth kept praying for her, or praying for her. Uh, she kept, or she kept just meeting with her and loving on her. And eventually Rachel came to know Jesus. And I believe that part of it was because of Elizabeth's perseverance and her willingness to keep having a pure heart even when Rachel would frustrate her. I want to be like Elizabeth. Like, or not just be someone who puts on, or puts on religious actions to impress others, but someone who truly has a pure heart. Jesus is after our hearts. He wants to soften our hearts. He wants to transform them. He doesn't simply want to make you religious. Jesus doesn't care if you have perfect attendance at Chi Alpha, although I'd like you to have perfect attendance because I like seeing you. But that's not how you get to Jesus. You get to Jesus by desperately seeking his face. Jesus is looking for people who will pursue him at any cost. That's what the pure in heart look like. So my question for you is, once again, are you pure in heart while being inwardly ugly? Only you can know the state of your heart. Ask yourself, how is my heart? Am I just performing or am I truly in love with Jesus? You've got to ask yourselves that tonight. So we've established that the pure in heart are inwardly beautiful. So what does this look like practically? How does an inwardly beautiful heart shake out in day-to-day life? So the second one is this, the pure in heart overflow with holiness. Or being pure in heart is not just about having a soft and affectionate or warm heart towards God. It's not just being like, I'm emotional about God. He loved me so much. Although that's good. We want to engage our emotions. If you saw me up here, I was jumping. My emotions were engaged. Absolutely, that's good. But if you just have this warm, tingling feeling for God, but it doesn't overflow into action, then I would say that's bankrupt. That's nothing. Like just getting these feelings, that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for feelings, but also action. And the pure in heart will overflow into holiness. So if you think you have a pure heart, then you should see it by, by the things you're doing. The pure in heart cannot help but just live a life of holiness. When Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for performing religious rituals, he wasn't saying that external actions altogether are unimportant. He was saying that your external, or your, sorry, I spit on my iPad. He's saying that your external actions should be motivated by a pure heart. So the question is, what is your motivation for your actions? It should be a pure heart. You shouldn't do religious deeds in an attempt, once again, to impress others or to try to perform for God while being dead on the inside. If you're pure in heart, then you will pursue and live a life of holiness. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to holiness. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The Apostle Peter says that as God's children, as children of a good father who loves us and has our best interests in mind, we shouldn't want to keep living the way that we used to live before we knew Jesus. Instead, we should want to be holy because our amazing Father in heaven is holy. We want to be like Dad. That should be our heart, to want to be like our Dad in heaven. If you are a child of God, you should want to be like God. If you don't want to be like Him, I'm not condemning you. I'm saying you need to have an encounter with the love of God so you can be motivated to want to be like Him. 
In Matthew 12, Jesus says that we show ourselves to be followers of him by our actions. Let's look at it. Matthew 12, 33 through 34, or 34. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And Jesus is getting feisty again. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out, of, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew 15, 18 through 19, it says something similar. It says, it says but, or, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, comes murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. If we want to change our behavior, if we want to be holy, then we first have to change our hearts. Our actions are simply reflections of where our hearts are. If you, ha- if you have a pure heart, then your actions will be pure. Therefore, the Lord is focused on changing our hearts, not just on changing our habits. And guys, I know this truth all too well. I grew up in the church my whole life, and I always appeared to be religious to my friends. But then when I got into high school, I had so much sin that began to entangle me on the inside. I, I was addicted to pornography. I was doing things with girls that I shouldn't have been doing. I talked perversely. I partied on the weekends, and not to mention that I didn't really have a desire to know God. I wanted to be a Christian with all its benefits, but I didn't want to be a follower. I didn't want to give my whole life over. And after years of this, I finally got breakthrough. When I realized something, I had fallen to the to the bottom of myself, or I did all the things I never wanted to do. And in that moment, Jesus told me that there was nothing that could separate me from his love. And once I got that truth inside of me, my heart warmed, it transformed, and my actions began to change. But I needed that encounter with the love of God. I needed to be told that there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. So you tonight need to be told. Guys, as I'm talking about all these things, or all these or the purity that we're called to, maybe you're feeling condemned, and you need to be told tonight that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But you have to put your faith in him. You have to trust him. You can't just keep holding on to your life. You have to surrender. Jesus is calling us to that tonight. And as you surrender, as you allow him to transform your heart, your actions will change. And if you've experienced this heart change, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted his love for you, then you need to know that Jesus has an incredibly high standard for holiness on our lives. He has a really, really high standard. It's not that he condemns us if we don't, or we don't meet that standard, but as his children, he says, you can do it by my spirit and motivated by my love. You can be pure and you can be holy. So let's, let's take a look at this. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, he says, it says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Because Jesus has changed our hearts, he has now raised the bar on, on holiness. He expects complete devotion and abandonment of our former sins and patterns. He's saying, I don't want you just to resist committing adultery, but I want you to go through every day trying to be as pure as possible and not looking at people with lustful intent. And it doesn't just apply to sexuality. It applies to every aspect of life. He's not just asking us to, to avoid the really bad things, okay? You've been told if you grew up in church, oh, just avoid these really bad things, like sex outside marriage, drugs, and alcohol. If you, or if you avoid those things, and you come to church, you're amazing. Jesus says, I'm not just wanting 
a few things for you to give up. I'm wanting you to be completely abandoned to me, completely sold out. So if you're one of those Christians, you're just trying to say, oh, as long as I don't do drugs, as long as, or as long as I stay away from the hill and I don't have sex with my boyfriend, although we're doing everything else, then I'm good. If that's you, Jesus is saying that's not the call of the Christian. He has raised the bar on holiness. His grace does not, or does not lower the standard for holiness. It actually raises it. He raises the bar. And I'm telling you, God is looking. I'm going to say it again. God is looking for a generation who seeks his face and who says, I'll do anything to be pure. If I have to break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend, I'll do it. If I have to throw away my smartphone, I'll do it. God is calling up a generation to be pure in heart and to be motivated by his love. We're not, guys, we're not motivated by trying to avoid his condemnation. It says there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says that in Romans 8.1. But because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that should motivate us to go all out for him. We need to be motivated by the cross, by the fact that he gave up everything for us. How can we respond by just trying not to do a few sins and go to church? Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. There should not even be a hint among us. And this applies to all sin. We need to be pure in our hearts, or pure in our thoughts, pure in our actions, pure in the way we treat other people. This is the call of Jesus. This is his call. It's what the scriptures say all the time. So many people left Jesus during his ministry. So many people left him because his call is high. He says, if you're going to taste my radical grace, then you better, better respond pretty radically. There's a rich man who came to Jesus and says, or says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the Ten Commandments. Obey your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't do this. The guy says, oh, I've done all those things. I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go, sell all your possessions. Then come, follow me. There's a rich man. Jesus knew what had that person's heart, and he grabbed it. He's, he pinpointed it. He said, or sell all your possessions, because that has your heart right now. He's not telling all of us to sell our possessions, but if possessions have your heart, Jesus says to follow me, you have to give them up. And that goes for anything. And what did the rich man do? He walked away. He said, I can't do that. And I'm afraid that, or that the American church, if they were truly told what Jesus' call is, like, like many of our megachurches would not be full. The call of Jesus is to say, you're all in or you're out. He says, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be hot. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out. That is the call of Christ. That is the call of Jesus are you trying to get as close to the line of sin as possible without actually sinning? Or are you staying away, as far away from sin as possible? Are you committed to purity? You were bought with a price. Do not dishonor God with your body. You were bought with a price. Jesus paid it all for you. You were bought with a price. Jesus bled on that cross for you. How can you then go give your body to sexual immorality? You were bought with a price. We need to get that. The reason we struggle so much with sexual sin in our generation, partially because of our environment, I'll give you that. It's a hard generation to be pure, and I'll say that. But also because we don't understand the cross of Jesus. We don't understand how much he truly loves us. 
We don't understand that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In that same chapter, it says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall bring an accusation against God's people? Because I've justified them. He says, no one can bring a charge against you. When you get that inside of you, when you know that there's nothing I could do that could separate me from God's love, then that motivates you to go all in. And you might fall. You're going to stumble, I promise. I'm a human being, I know. You're going to stumble. But you get back up and you keep pursuing God with everything you have. That's what it looks like to be pure in heart. And there's one more thing, and I've already pretty much said this, but I'll just go for it. The third thing is this. Only Jesus can make you pure in heart. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, who can say that I have made my heart pure? Or pure? I cannot say that word, I feel like. I'm clean from my sin. If you've said, I've made my heart pure, like I'm pretty amazing. Pro- or, or the writer here says, who are you? He's saying, no, you've, no, you're not pure. He, the, or, or the writer is saying that there's no one who's pure on their own. You can't just say, oh, or I made my heart clean, I'm pure. Or Psalm 14.3 says, they all have turned aside. Together they have all become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. On your own, you're not going to be pure. I don't care how hard you try or what changes you try to make. Your determination and effort will help. It does help. You need to be determined to cut it out, like cut out the sin. Be determined. There's value in that. But to be truly pure in heart, you need to understand that Jesus is a forgiving God who loves you. He's for you. It says in Romans 8 again, it says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Jesus is for you. You need to get that. And you need his love to be your motivation. You need to fall in love with God. You need to fall in love with him. He's better than you think. He's more good than you think. Guys, we have this idea of how good God is. Times that by two billion. He's that much better. That's what's amazing about this Christian life. As we dive in with him, we'll be, or God will reveal more of his goodness to us and we'll fall more in love with him. But we have to do our part. We can't just show up to church and say, I'm not going to do these things and think that we're going to fall in love with God. We have to do our part and seek him. We have to be the generation who seeks God's face. Romans 5, 5 through 8 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for, for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you realize that Christ died for you while you were still a sinner, and you accept that love, transformation will happen inside your heart. The Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, God himself will come and live inside of you, enabling you to find victory in holiness. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel predicted a time where we wouldn't just obey out of, a de- or out of this desire to please God or to be accepted by him, but instead because God's transformed our hearts and our heart wants to obey. Let's read this, Ezekiel or chapter 11, verse 19. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That morning when I gave my life to Jesus again, when I tasted his love, when he told me that there's nothing that could separate me from his love, like my heart went from being so cold to so warm. He like took my heart and it was just transformed. It's like it got pulled out of my chest and a brand new heart got put in. And I believe we can have that experience, but it comes at this, at this moment, just like at the beginning of the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
It comes at that moment where you say, I have nothing to offer you. If I don't get your love, then I'm going to die. If I don't get forgiveness, then there's no way I could ever be a Christian. I need your forgiveness. When we get to that point where we just know that we're spiritually bankrupt without Jesus, that's when the heart change happens. But you have to get there. You have to allow yourself to get to that point of desperation. So I'm telling you tonight, do not harden your heart. This message is not easy. But some of you right now are tempted to harden your heart and say, I don't want to feel anything. I don't want to deal with my sin. Let go. Surrender. Allow God to break your heart. Allow him to break it. That is the best place you'll ever be. And he'll give you a brand new heart. And then you'll be able to obey him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. To be pure in heart, we need to not only accept his love and sacrifice for us and trust that he will save us, but we also need to have a vibrant relationship with God. We need, so Christians, it's not just this moment. Like, that's an amazing moment where God takes our dead heart, gives us a new heart, and we become a Christian. That's amazing. But it goes further than that. We have to have an intimate, daily, vibrant relationship with him. So if you're wondering, why can't I get out of this sin? The first question I'll ask you is, are you reading your Bible daily? And I don't think anyone's ever said yes when they're struggling with, like, habitual sin. That I've talked to, at least. I guess you might still struggle once in a while, but it's different. It's different when you start spending time with Jesus every day. It's a different kind of struggle. It's, or it's not motivated by this guilt and shame, but it's motivated by, wow, God loves me so much. And, and if you screwed up that day, you'll jump back up the next day and say, I'm going to get with Jesus. And then he motivates you. It's a different kind of struggle when you're in the word, when you're praying, when you're communing with God. So let me get to the scripture. John 15, verse 4 and 5. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's the deal. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying and then you're mad at yourself for struggling with sin, Jesus says, that's the way it should be. If you're not abiding in me, that's the way it should be. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It ain't about you. It ain't about you guys. Like, it ain't about your grits. It's about, or it's about just abiding with Jesus. It's about just resting in him and allowing him to do the work. So get this. Does a branch bear fruit by itself? No. It's connected to a vine, and that vine gives the branch all the nutrients it needs to bear fruit. And the branch just naturally bears fruit. The, or the branch isn't grunting or gritting its teeth, saying, please bear fruit. No, the vine is giving it all the nutrients it needs. So when you don't spend time with Jesus, when you don't have a daily relationship with him and you're struggling with sin, what you look like is a branch just lying on the ground, broken off from a tree, just trying to wiggle and bear fruit. It's ridiculous. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And might I say, if you're not abiding with Jesus, he still loves you. He still loves you. If you're not bearing fruit, he still loves you. He's not looking at that branch like, wow, you really suck crunching it. He's saying, can I help you back up, get you connected back to me? So don't be condemned. This is not a condemning message. This message is about just trusting in him and resting in him and allowing him to do the work, allowing him first to change our hearts through salvation and through, and through regeneration. That's that fancy word for, for your heart being transformed. Then also, if you're a Christian, through resting in him, through abiding in him, through remaining in him, those are words for abide. And allowing the vine to bear the fruit for you. This is not a condemning message. 
So please don't get that tonight. The, or the worship team would come up. All right, so Matthew 5 eight, it says this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Isn't that an incredible motivation to be pure in heart? To see God? I want to see him. I don't want to settle for less than what God has for me. If Jesus really came, if he really lived as a human being for 33 years, and he lived a perfect life, and then he went and died for the people who betrayed him. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And then this church that was persecuted spread from Jerusalem all throughout the world. So now we're sitting in Cedar Falls, stinking cold Iowa, talking about him. If he's really God, then I want to see him. I want to see him. It doesn't start with me gritting my teeth. It starts with surrendering myself. College students, I'm telling you, I talk to you every day. Guys, you need to surrender. You need to stop trying to figure everything out yourself. You have such a tight grip on your life. You're like, it has to go this way. It has, or this scholarship has to work out, or this job opportunity, or I have to be in this group, or whatever, or I got to get this boyfriend. I don't know what it is. You guys just, you clench onto things, and you don't surrender. And if you would just surrender to God and say, whatever you want for me, and you'll see this purity come into your life. You have to surrender. You have to give up things that are good. Things are good things. But the things that Jesus says to say no to, you have to give those things up. There's so many good things vying for your attention on this campus. But Jesus is looking for people who will say no to good things so you can say yes to God things. And when that happens, when you surrender to him, when you begin to rest in him and actually have a relationship with him, then, you're, then you will see purity in your life. You will. Jesus promises. He says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing, which implies that, or that with him, you can do something. So stop trying to be a Christian without Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. Seriously. We're trying to, to subscribe to rules that, or that were never meant to just be subscribed to. They were, or they were meant to be just gladly and joyfully obeyed and just naturally lived out. But we're trying to read the Bible and be like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do this. But, but throughout that, are you guys actually miss Jesus? You don't have a relationship with him. You're just trying to see, what do I got to do to stay good enough? What do I got to do to get into heaven? Jesus is calling you to jump into the ocean of his love tonight. In this place, like this morning, I had time with God, Okay. It was amazing. And that doesn't happen every day. There's times where I don't feel anything and I just leave and it's, it's good. I still read the Bible and prayed. But this morning, God's presence showed up into my second bedroom in my crappy apartment. And this is just random place in Cedar Falls. He showed up. And he told me that he, told me that, or that he was here before the foundation of the world. And he led me to John 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word, which was Jesus. And the Word was with God. And it talks about how 
all things came through him and nothing was made without Jesus. I'm paraphrasing. And it says that the word became flesh, Jesus, and he dwelt among us. And he spoke those words to me through the scriptures. And I just marveled at God, at who he is. And today, guys, it wasn't so hard to obey because I had been with Jesus and I knew how good he was. I knew that he's someone or someone that's, that's worth seeking. But you have to know that he's worth seeking. But that comes through being disciplined and spending time with him and giving him an opportunity and surrendering and saying, I'm not going to control my life. I'm not going to try to make everything work out the way that I want it to work out. I'm going to surrender to him. And out of that beautiful fruit is going to come from your life. And you will shake nations. Guys, you have so much potential in you. There are people on your floors who need you to reach out to them. But you're trying to bear fruit without being connected to the vine. So then it's hard to reach out to them. But if you're connected to the vine, then it'll be easier to be who God has called you to be. And you'll be able to reach out to people in your dorms. You'll be able to say no to sexual sin. Come on, somebody. We need to say no to sexual sin. Sex is amazing. We're going to talk about it over the next three weeks. Not every week, but we're talking about sex. It is incredible inside of marriage. But outside of that, it's a perversion of God's design. We need to say no and be patient and wait for God to send the right one and then get married as soon as you need to. You hear me? There's some of you in this room who, you, who I'm talking about all this and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not even a Christian. And tonight I just want to implore with you, would you surrender to God tonight and allow him to take your filthy rags, your sin, and exchange it for his righteousness. That's what Christianity is about. We're not trying to work our way up to God. No, God came down from heaven to us. The word became flesh. He dwelt among us and he paid the price for our sins on the cross. And then he defeated death, sin, hell and the grave. That's a God worth serving. So tonight, if that's you, if you want him to take your, or take your dead heart and give you this brand new heart, I pray that you would do that tonight. And then Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, but if you're honest, you're not actually living the pure life that God has called you to live. Maybe you talk perversely. Maybe you think corrupt thoughts. Maybe you fight with people on Facebook. Uh, I had to get that in there. Maybe you're self-centered. Maybe you're uh, dishonest or deceitful. You know, maybe you are struggling with sexual sin. Whether that be with pornography or in a relationship. If that's you, Jesus wants to touch your heart tonight. He wants to forgive you again. He wants to give you a fresh start. And what better time for that to happen than just before we jump into our dating series? I'm just saying, let's get it all out tonight, and then we're going to learn how do we date in a godly way and get married in a godly way over the next three weeks. You guys would just stand with me. <clears throat> God is calling us to be committed to purity. When we commit ourselves to this, he will unleash revival and blessing on our campus. He will. He will. Take that to the bank. I'll keep preaching every week until that generation comes. Maybe it's going to be four years from now. I don't know. But I hope it's you. When there's a generation that, that gets desperate about the things of God, when you're wholly devoted to him, when you're pure in heart, when you follow Jesus no matter what the cost, when you commit yourself to saying no to your flesh and saying yes to God, we will see more people come to know Jesus. But we're a bunch of branches just flinching on the ground and we're expecting people to come to know him. No, it's time for the branches to connect themselves back to the vine and to see people come into the kingdom of God. That's what's going to happen. I'm just prophesying that in the name of Jesus right now. 
when that generation comes on this campus that's committed to purity, that's when our friends will start to be reached in powerful ways. As we finish this series, let's commit ourselves to be kingdom people. We're not culture people. We're not just trying to be like everyone else is in America, although that's tempting. We're trying to be kingdom people, not this kingdom, or as in this nation, but as in the kingdom of heaven. Let's commit ourselves to be kingdom people. Let's commit ourselves to live in an upside-down kingdom that says no to the things of the world and says yes to the things of God, like laying down your life for others. So the first week was humility. And like hungering after God, no matter what it takes. That was the second week. Forgiving people who have hurt you. Now that one's hard. But kingdom people forgive even when other people don't deserve it. And finally, committed to being pure in heart, saying no matter what the cost, I'm going to be pure. Like no matter what I have to get out of my life, I am going to be pure. So Romans 12, 1 through 2, this is where we're going to end it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, or, or spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Please, please millennials, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to the crap you see in your newsfeed. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may test what is good and acceptable and perfect. Come on, Jesus, we love you. Let's do this. Let's be different than our culture. All right, let's pray tonight. You bow your heads. I have two, or two ways to respond tonight. So the first way is this. If you're in this room and you just want to make a commitment to follow Jesus or to make a recommitment to follow him, I believe tonight is the perfect night to do that. I believe that Jesus can take your dead heart and give you a new one. If that's you, you just have to put your faith in him. And I just ask you now to just raise your hand. No one's looking around. See that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Tons of hands going up. Is there anyone else? See that hand. All right, you can put them down. I'm going to pray for you first. I'm just going to pray a prayer of salvation. And pray it in your heart. This isn't about me praying it for you. Pray it in your heart. Just ask Jesus to save you. That's all that a salvation prayer is. Jesus, we love you so much. And we thank you that you came and you died on the cross for our sins. God, it says, while, or while we were still sinners, you died for us. And Jesus, we thank you for that. And God, we pray right now that just as the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about, that you would take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And God, or God, we proclaim that, or that we're putting our faith in you tonight and trusting in you and not in ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. All right, the second group is this. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, but if you're being honest, you need some forgiveness tonight for the impurity in your heart. If that's you, put up your hand. There's already tons of hands going up. Tons of hands. All right, I'm going to pray. Pray with me in your heart, or you can even pray out loud. I don't care. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that, that Christianity is not a religion where we try to work our way to you. No, God, you came down for us. But God, we repent because we have been trying to just accept Christianity but not actually have a relationship with you. God, we pray tonight that each person in this room would dive into an intimate relationship with you. We'd find forgiveness for the impurities in our life and we would begin to live, just live this life of purity and commitment to you no matter what the cost. Oh God, let us be 
the generation who seeks your face. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's worship him.